all in your head. Talk with the counselor or maybe a psychic instead. Doesn't matter how you roll when life has taken such a toll. Clenching fists along with your screams. I'm here to heal your mind and we are here to heal your soul. Time to follow your dreams. Side by Hi, and welcome to Side by Side, a show where we use two different perspectives to achieve the same goal. I'm Sheena Metal, and I'm a psychic medium and an energetic healer. With me, as always, is my co-host, Diane Katz, who is a mental health educator. And each week on the show, we're working to get people the help and the healing that they need side by side. Welcome, my friend. It's so great to be here with you again. Oh, welcome, Sheena. It's great to be here with you again. It's always my favorite time of the every two weeks when we do the show. It's my I favorite know. time of the bye week. <laughs> I love it. When we do this show. Uh, you're a joy to work with, and I so enjoy you, and I love that we are helping people. Um, so far, all of our guests have been so happy that we've allowed them to have a voice on the issues we were talking about and yes. also help to give them some, a little bit of healing, which is, I think both of our missions on earth, right? Yep. It sure is. I'm, um, I'm just thrilled that we are making a difference out there, Sheena. When did you know? Because as we're both artists, right? Art was what we both did first. We both did music before anything else. Correct. Um, did you always know that when you were performing, when you were writing music, that that was a kind of healing? Uh, no, I can't say I did. I, okay. just, I just loved performing. But years later, I realized that the instrument I had picked, drums, were very tribal yeah, and very earthy. And so I did discover how I could use that in sort of a meditation and a trance-like state to really heal my own self. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I think I always thought of myself as a healer. Um, but I never talked about it. I always say now I just like I wear my underwear on the outside like that tour Madonna did where her underwear were on the outside. <laughs> now people just see my healer on the outside. But I think there's something about music, you know, film, television, fine art, dance that is extremely healing. It's it's what people go to to sort of help and heal them from the pressures of their life. Right. They put on a movie. They put on their favorite song. They they dance. They sing. They Whatever it is that they do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mine, though, I felt I was healing through entertaining people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I entertained them and put smiles on their face, I thought I was lifting their spirits. And then when I did that, it lifted my own spirits. A hundred percent. Completely a hundred percent. So we picked an interesting topic today, right? We're talking about um, something I, I run across in my spiritual practice a lot. Uh, people who are trying to survive 
the death of a spouse. And um, we oh, talked yeah. on our first show about losing your mom, which was a really hard thing for both you and me. Um, I can't speak for you, but I've never lost a spouse or somebody that I was in a relationship with. As far as I know, they're all crawling around somewhere. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I can't even imagine what that's like or how you move past that. Um, and we have yeah. like three really wonderful ladies on the show today. They're going to be sharing their stories and I know you're going to be helping. So, yeah, that sounds extremely painful. I can't say I've been there either. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine. And I, I'm so glad that you're here because I know that as a mental health educator, there's so many different perspectives other than spiritual that you'll be able to give them. Because I think, and I'm sure you'll agree that when we are dealing with grief or loss or trauma or illness of any kind, we are always trying to heal on both a psychological and a spiritual perspective at the same time, right? Because Absolutely. if you heal one and not the other, you're not really healed. That's very, very true, my friend. Very so true. important. So let's, let's bring on our first lovely lady. This is Patricia. Okay. And uh, Patricia, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, why don't Thanks you tell us a little me. bit of your story? Oh, oh always. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you are, when you lost your spouse, and some of the things that you dealt with afterwards. 20 months ago, today, I lost my husband. Oh, we honey. had met. I was 18 years old when we met. He was 20. He was almost 68 when he passed away. He, mm. he, he left three days before his birthday. And for me, I had lost my mom. I lost my dad when I was 23. I lost my mom when I was 52. And although they both hit me hard, nothing hit me as hard as this hit me. Mm. I, we were totally inseparable. Everything we did was together. We never had children. Uh, not a choice. It just never happened. And uh, we we shared everything, everything from renovating our house to yard work, to housework, to cleaning, no cooking. I am, I'm the only one who did the cooking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> even working on cars, everything, we were we were very intertwined. And that's why his loss has hit me so hard. Oh, um, sweetie. Yeah. And every time I think I'm doing okay, I have a bad day. And they they come and they go. And I contain it to where when I'm out in public, unless somebody asks me a specific question, I'm pretty good. I can hold my own. It's when I come home that I lose it. And, you know, the first time, uh, I guess about a month after he passed, the first time it hit me really, really hard is when I sneezed and there was nobody here to say, bless you. Hmm. And I never realized how much I would miss that. Hmm. And there are times now where uh, we were both very um, heavy into history and, and we read a lot and we visited a lot of historical places and he was a wood carver. And I was, uh, I did wildlife photography. So the one day I was having a hard time, I was out in the yard and I'm talking to him. I always talk to him. And all of a sudden in the sky appeared a cloud formation that is 
the exact image of the favorite style duck he liked to carve. So I knew right away that was an answer to what I asked and what I talked to him about. So there are times and things like that happen with, that comforts me, but it also makes me miss him more. And the strangest thing happened to me this weekend. We were big old movie buffs. We both loved old movies. Mm. I, I've probably seen the same movies 40, 50, 60 times. And I was watching a movie that I had seen with him many times. And something in the movie for the first time caught my ear. And it was a story about an alcoholic. And it was the serenity prayer. I knew the serenity prayer. But it never hit me like it hit me this weekend. Wow. And for the first time, I'm I'm actually had several hours where I said, you're right, God, I can't accept this, but I have no choice but to accept this. Mm -hmm. And I got to figure a way to continue until it's my time. And I don't yes. know what that is, and I don't know when that is, but I'll do the best I can do. So, That's all you can do, really. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Did you how did did you know? I mean, how much warning did you have? Did you know that he was going to pass? Was there a time he, period of? He was he was sick for three weeks, and not sick, just very tired. And um, the day I had him, I forced him to go to the hospital. I had an ambulance take him to the hospital. I knew that day he was going to pass. I just didn't know it was going to take him 21 days of struggling before mm, that wow. happened. And and I, I felt bad because my husband was always upset that the last time he saw his father alive, my husband was six years old when his father passed. It was his father in an ambulance waving to him goodbye. So he told me when he was going out to the ambulance, do not, do not look at the ambulance. He said, let, let us leave and then you meet us there. I said, all right. But I knew they intubated him a day before he passed away. And the minute they intubated him, I knew it was over. Oh, sweetheart. I'm he so made sorry. A statement. He made a statement before they intubated him. He told the doctor, he says, she is not to make any decisions about me. And the doctor explained to him, Peter, that's not the way this works. She's your legal representative. She has to make decisions. Do you know that mm, I guess about 20 minutes before he passed, you know, you get to read monitors when you're in and out of hospitals, you understand what the monitors are saying. Sure. And I watched the monitors and I watched the numbers for his heart and the numbers were even, and I knew he was going hmm. and they forced me out of the room while they worked on him. And the minute they forced me out of the room, I knew that was his way of saying, I'm making this decision for you. You're not making this. Yeah, it really does yeah. sound like he was ready by saying yeah. he wanted to yes. make the decision. Yes. Yeah. When yeah. he did that, that's what he wanted to save me from having to do that. I think that's right. so beautiful. I mean, I've talked yeah. a lot about my mom and how when she was passing, I could feel her unlacing the soul tie and letting me go. I think when they let you go, they make it so much easier for you yes. than the folks that are trying to hang on and they're begging you to fix them. Right. Because all of that carries afterwards. You spend your whole life thinking, God, I should have done something different. I mean, he very definitely had a plan 
And his exit plan was, you know, no fuss, no muss. I'm going and I don't want to get in your way. Right. Um, is it is it easier? And, and I'll tell you why I'm going to ask you this after I ask you this, Patricia. Is it easier knowing having your spirituality and knowing that he's in a better place and knowing that he's happy and being able to contact him? Does that make it easier for you to deal with your own grieving and your it, own processing it, of it? It does in a way because I remember him prior to going to the hospital. And I know that for the last two years, at least, he's been struggling to put a front on for me. I knew what he was going through because I could see it. But he tried to force me to see something he didn't want me to see. And for that alone, I realized as much as I miss him and as much as it hurts, I know he's not struggling. I know I wouldn't want to be in that position and have him see me. So I understand what he was going through because he's been trying to protect me all this time. Hmm. So, yes, it did make it easier. And, I, and I'm sure he doesn't easier. want you to struggle as well. You know, he, he wants you to live your he life. Also, he also knew everything I do is with passion. He knew that. He used to say to me that it frustrates me, he says, because you don't do anything halfway. You do everything. You're either all in or you're all out. He says, you do nothing halfway. So no matter what was going to happen, I was going to miss him and it was going to hurt. And yeah. I knew that and he knew that. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I'll tell you why I asked, because I lost one of my best friends in the, in the fall and somebody brought up the question to me, like, how can you get upset? Why do you get upset when your friends die? I lost another one of my best friends two years ago. Um, why do you get upset when people die? Because you're a psychic and you can contact them. You're a medium and you know they're okay. So what's there to be sad about? And it's interesting because I saw this meme today. I'm going to read you that somebody posted that I loved. And this is what it said. You can be spiritual and heartbroken. You can be spiritual and depressed. You can be spiritual and angry. Spirituality helps you to face the human experience, not suppress it. And I think there's this misnomer that if you're a spiritual person, you should just feel like, well, I know they're in a good place, so I shouldn't ever grieve. And it, it doesn't work that way. Our no. bodies, right? Our minds no. and our and our souls are constantly trying to process the grief, right? And I have I have realized because we we raised cats, we've shared many cats in our lives, and it hurt every time you lost one. Mm. And he said to me at one point, No more cats, Pat. He says, My heart can't take it. And all I could think of is I know exactly where he is because my heart, every time I lose something, someone, I lose another piece. Mm -hmm. But he always told me, he said, you have so much to give. You have so much love to give. But I tell him, I think I gave him the last of it. I don't want to give it to anyone else. It just hurts too much. The pain is so enduring. It, it's unreal. I never, I was never physically sick losing someone, knowing I was losing someone. The day I knew he was leaving, I, I found myself at a church nearby and asked them to have a priest give him last rites. We weren't practicing Catholics, but we both believed. We were both spiritual. And I, and I was so physically ill I had to stop the car 
and, and throw up. I've never been physically ill like that. So the, the pain, no matter how much you know it's coming, and I always knew, not just with him, but with my mom, with my dad, I always knew it was coming and it doesn't stop the pain. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. stop the pain. You just pray for one more minute to be there. One more minute, let me be there. Yeah. So, Diane, what do you tell people from a mental health perspective to help them through this? Well, you know, first I always say, feel your feelings. Go ahead, grieve, cry, throw up. You know, you said you're throwing up. Everybody has their way of dealing with the pain. I say go ahead and do that for a while. But then it's time to lessen that grief time. And we talked on another show when we were discussing the loss of my own mother. There's something in mental health that we call a grief hour, a grief time. So you set it up. And you say, every day at this time, I'm going to allow myself to feel everything. But when that time's up, that's it for today. And then I have to go about my business and go about my mission in life. And, you know, it's interesting because I heard you say you told him you're all in when you when you have a, a goal or something. Why not be all in in working toward acceptance, because when you get to that acceptance, you're going to be so much more at peace. And it takes, of course, it takes what it takes to get there, of course. Right. It's like an open wound. You know, a wound has to heal and it's just going to take its time. But when you get to a point where there's a scab on it, it's time to focus on something that will get you away from that pain. I don't know if that helps at all, but a grief hour and and making a new set of goals where you can put yourself all in, like you said, but it's more so for your peace of mind. And uh, Sheena, you can talk about the spirituality aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do. I think you have to just think about moving forward that now you're still both on your path, but he's just on his path in a different place. Yeah. I find, I find that unless of course I'm doing a discussion like this, I find that I'm able to control when I actually have my, my breakdown. Okay. I, I, I have a job, you know, I have a part-time job I go to and I maintain my calm there. I do what I got to do. I talk to people, I socialize. Um, but when I come home, if I'm having a rough time, I give myself the opportunity to break down and then mm-hmm. I get up and I move on with whatever else I'm doing. Okay. Nice. And yeah. that sounds healthy. Um, Patricia, what working. I'd like what I'd like to see in you is to work on changing your thought patterns. So when you are telling yourself I cannot ever love again. I cannot do this. I cannot, you know, even if you don't feel it, just say, I am going to be happy again. I, or I am happy. You know, it's sort of a fake it till you make it. Um, you know, I am at peace with this. I am moving forward. But that doesn't mean you're detaching from the love you have for him. It just means you're kind of putting, you're reframing your thoughts. And by doing so, 
you're going to start feeling that way. And you know, you know I've I said this. I've said this to Sheena before that I, I, I feel very, very blessed and lucky because I listen to a lot of people around me. The type of place I work in, people are very unhappy, very unhappy with their lives. And I said, you know everybody has a little bit here and there in their life. No matter how great your relationship is, you have it. But the good times so outweighed the bad in mine. I have been so incredibly blessed to have what I had when I had it because okay. some people never have it. I agree. I agree. And, in, and I tell and you that all the time. Some people on. never had what you have. And you are so blessed to have had I'm that love fortunate. with somebody. I'm very, so very wonderful. Fortunate. That's a great attitude. Sweetie, thank you for being here. We adore you. We appreciate you. you. And we're sending you love and healing. Thank you very much. And thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thank you. My, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Take care. I think it's really easy, right, Diane, to, to feel like um, it's really easy for us not in that position to say, aren't you so lucky? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Oh, yeah. But the truth is a lot of people go through their lives and never experience that kind of love. And um, it, it is better to have it and lose it than to never have had it, I believe. It, it's nice to see that she really sees that, too. She appreciates yeah. the blessing. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful because so many people don't aren't grateful. They aren't, they don't feel blessed. And no. I, I think that attitude of hers is going to help her, you know, move along in her healing. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. All right. So now we're going to talk to Darlene. Darlene also lost her spouse. Okay. And um, welcome Darlene. We're so Let's thrilled and honored to have you here. Heavy stuff today. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. How are you? We're good. How are you? This is Diane, and we're here to help you. And Welcome, we Darlene. Know how you're how you're doing? Just like we asked with Patricia, sweetie, give us a little bit of your story and how long it's been, and let us know how you're how you're hanging in there. Well, I lost. I met my husband later in life, and um, he um, well, he's been gone longer than we were together at this point, and. Um, so he came home from um, dialysis and um, well, he went to the bathroom and he couldn't get off the toilet. And so I ended up having to call e um, EMS and they took him to the hospital and I didn't like the hospital he went to. So I got him transferred to the hospital that he normally went to. And he was doing better for um, a couple days. And then a doctor came in and talked to me. And he was like, blah, 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 blah. And um, then he said, well, I didn't understand what he said. But basically, he, he said um, that he that my husband wasn't going, there was nothing much they were going to be able to do, but I didn't really hear that. And then a couple of days later, um, another doctor um, came in and took me out into the hallway. And she um, said to me, explained to me 
that um, there was nothing more that they could do for him. Um, and she explained why, because of his kidneys and his other organs were shutting down and his blood was sick and everything like that. And she said to me that um, they would do everything, anything and everything that I wanted them to do. Well, at that point, I didn't know what they could do or what to ask them to do or anything like that. But in the past with other family members, I had seen what could happen to them, to people. And I didn't want him to get bloated or anything along those lines. And I didn't want him to suffer anymore. So I had decided to just um, like um, stop treatment or just to keep him um, comfortable or just do like the, the very little um, treatment. Yes, sure. And then the next day, another doctor came in and she is sitting on the other side of him and I'm sitting on the other side of him. And she says to me, she goes, um, well, would you like me to tell you how many days he has left? Oh, goodness. I looked at her and in my mind, well, I won't say what I said in my mind, but I was like, what the F did you just say? (laughs) And I just thinking, well, the doctor just told, I didn't didn't say it, but in my mind, I'm like, well, the doctor just told me this in the hallway yesterday. How can we go from the hallway to this doctor? And so she said a few days. And then that afternoon, or the next morning, hospice came and talked to me. And I guess I just couldn't understand how... Every few hours, we were just going from this to this to this to this. So I had, I agreed to go to hospice. And then the next morning, I said, well, and my girlfriend met me up at hospice. And I said to the lady in hospice, I said, well, when his breakfast and um, his lunch comes, will I be able to still feed him like I normally do? And the nurse looks at me really, really strange. And my girlfriend is like, Darlene, well, he's in hospice. Um, They don't eat when they're in hospice. And I'm like, what the F are you talking about? Right, right. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's hard. I, I think that I think that sometimes we find when we're losing someone we love in the medical field that their job is sort of to get them in, get them out, and get to the next one. And when they realize someone doesn't have really any quality of life left, it seems sometimes like they just want to make these definitive decisions to move them on to the next plane and move to the next patient. And I know how difficult that is when that person is your life. How long has it been 
since he passed and how and how are you doing since then sweetie fine i mean it's it hasn't been fine all along um but i always wonder if i will ever meet somebody else and because i guess Obviously, I he required a lot of care, and obviously, I'm very codependent. And when I think of meeting somebody else, will I meet somebody that will need to be taken care of? And I guess my personality is, yeah, I'll find somebody that will need to be taken care of. <laughs> or when would I meet somebody else? And, you know, the, the hardest part after losing him, like he needed, um, like, like right after it was the hardest part right after was like, if we went to a restaurant, I always got to the door first and opened the door for him or whatever we did. I always had to go around to his side and open the door for him and then get his cane or his walker and put it in the back door or the back seat. And, or when we went to a rest or when I went to a restaurant after he died, they would say, well, how many? And I would say two. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, just one. Mm. And then you would sit, um, you well, obviously, if you're just one, you're probably sitting at a table for two, and uh, they would say, uh, "Well, what would you like?" And I would be like, "Well, we have. Can we have a couple more minutes?" And they would be we, and so that was like the hardest thing when you are when you know you have to help somebody. <laughs> And then you don't have to help somebody, but you're functioning as if there's this other person mm. and that other person is no longer there. That was really, really like hard to, you know, you don't have to get the door. You don't have to get the car door. There's only you. There's nobody else. That's a, that's a yeah. tough habit to break. <laughs> do you see do you see that a lot, Diane, that it's hard for caregivers once there's there's no one to care for? Absolutely. You know, you know, it, it becomes a habit. I mean, she's talking about her spouse. So she has known this person and did, done these same things over and over. So, of course, it's going to be a new experience when you go out and it's going to you know, you're going to want to revert back to what's familiar. However, I have to give you credit because you're out there doing it. You know, you didn't stay home and just say, I'm never going anywhere again. Maybe it, it is a strange feeling going to a new place and you still feel like, some, you know, you're, you're still answering as if someone was there. But you need to focus on what you're doing that I commend you for that, that you're getting out and you're actually living again. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's beautiful, sweetie. What what areas do you think, where do you think you're still really in your grieving process? Like in what areas do you think you still need help? Um, well, now that I'm later, 
I mean, it's been, he's been gone seven years. Mm. Do I want to do that again? Is it worth doing it again? Because it was obviously very difficult. And I, I, in our family, it, it just was a family thing. I don't know. It just was something that happened with our family that so many of our, my family died so prematurely. And it's almost like, do I get involved again with somebody? And is that person going to die early again, just like my first husband? So do I just protect myself and not do it again? I don't know about that. Darling, let me ask you, I know it's all very, very painful what you've gone through and are still going through. What is it right now, right in this moment that is bringing on the tears? Can you pinpoint it? Is it just because we're talking about something so painful or is there an aspect of it that's bringing up extreme pain for you right in this moment? The fear. The fear of the future? If I was was to meet somebody again and think about, well, you know, if we get together, um, you would have to promise me that you're going to be around for like a good 10 years. Can, <laughs> right. you, can you promise me <laughs> right. that you're not going to die for X amount of years? And if you can promise me that, then maybe we can have a long future together. Which oh, is darling. Right. Yeah, if only. You know, we, yeah, we never know what, what the next minute brings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's just no guarantees in life. (laughs) Yeah. I I could understand why you feel that way. Absolutely. Sweetie, you're so wonderful and we appreciate you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. And thanks for having a sense of humor about this. I know it's hard. And we wish you so much love and luck in your healing. Okay. All right. Thank you, ladies, so much. I appreciate you both. Can I interject one moment before she leaves? Yes, please, darling. Stay with us for a sec. Yes, please. Okay. Darlene, I want you to try focusing on the present moment because it sounds like you're into your future worrying about when I meet this person, what if, and what if, forget about all the what ifs, just right now, just focus on living and meeting people. All righty. I agree. I can do that. I agree. And don't, and don't, my mom used to always say, sweetheart, it hasn't happened yet. So don't sort of plan this scenario right, where you haven't right. even met this guy yet and you're already <laughs> sure you're going to meet him and he's going to die immediately. You know what I mean? Just, right. <laughs> just, just, just like, take things like Diane said, things as they come. Okay, honey. Right. He okay. may outlive you. Yeah, yeah exactly. You take care, sweetheart. You too. God, bye. I oh, love bye. how she wants to know that they're not going to die for 10 years. I want to, when I meet somebody, <laughs> I, I want to say to them, just please promise me you're not going to become a creep for 10 years. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I know. I know you're, you know, you're a medium, but we have no crystal ball that tells us exactly no, we when don't. the person's going to take off. We do. We do not know. That is for sure. And we, um, I don't think we want to know though. No, I, really I don't, don't. want to know. 
I, yeah, I honestly I, don't want to know. Some people want to know, but I, I don't. I wouldn't want to know. I, as a medium, I have no interest in knowing my future. I just want to uh, in, try to enjoy every day. It, it's hard enough to stay in the present without going there, right? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that's so very. You know, it's interesting between the two. You know, our first guest and our second guest. The first guest was having difficulty envisioning herself moving on. And right, then we have, yes. we have this guest who's dealing right. with her grief Darlene. as well, but she's yeah. she's into the future, thinking all about her fear stems from the what ifs right. of the future. Very right. interesting. Two well, totally different uh, grief, um, you know, situations, but very different ways of handling it. I wonder if it has something to do with um, the fact that Darlene's husband was ill for so long mm -hmm. and she spent so much time as a caregiver. Whereas with Patricia, it was relatively sudden. So I, cause I do think that when you're a caregiver and we both know this from taking care of our moms, as, as much as you wrestle with the guilt over this feeling, there is a feeling of relief, not just for you, but also mm -hmm. for them That's when they finally get to go to their place of peace, you get peace, they get peace where there has been no peace. And sometimes yes. we feel very guilty for wanting that peace. Um, but I do think that, that there was probably a part of Darlene that was after all that time, just a little relieved that, um, you know, because caregiving for somebody for all that time and watching them deteriorate is very difficult. Very, very, you know, I think you nailed it. That's absolutely true. At many years yeah, watching somebody and, and you know, your life is slipping away. Yes. So, yes. And you're yeah, becoming I, more and more, you know, I had an uncle um, who had uh, multiple sclerosis and he was diagnosed, I think, right around when he turned 40. And it, rare for this time, right? Because this was in the 70s when I was a kid. He li lived to be well into his 80s. And my aunt was pretty much his sole caregiver the entire time. I mean, at some point they had to get more help, come in and help her but she was still the caregiver. And in that time that she was taking care of him, she had to have like both her hips replaced, both her knees replaced, both her ankles replaced because her back surgeries, because she was lifting him and carrying him mm -hmm. and caregiving for him. And her body literally broke down. Oh, so I, I think sometimes that. we don't write and we all, we know that right from our moms. Yes. We don't think about what it's like with a spouse where maybe it's not just an end of life thing, but it's, you know, in her case, 45 years of caring for my uncle. And, um, you know, so you have to you have to think sometimes that there's different mixed feelings when it's over, if it's taken a very long time. And, and maybe that was the difference in those two ladies. Right, right. Well, we have a third guest. We do. We, this we is Tanya. Out, yeah, we can find out where that one's going to go. <laughs> the tiebreaker. Tanya, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Tanya. Hi. Hi, sweetie. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's okay. Tell, tell us your story. How long has it been? Uh, what were the circumstances and how are you holding up at this point? Um, it's been two and a half years now. Um, uh, he died from uh, COVID complications. Oh. Um, uh, he was, I went, I went on a, on a trip to Arizona and when I came back he was symptomatic and of course we both got sick 
Um, but I was getting better and he wasn't. And um, we went to the ER three different times um, during the course of COVID. And each time it was kind of like they just didn't want to deal with him if he did, if they didn't have to. Um, it was, they kind of want to get it in, get him in and out the door. But the last time he just, he kept saying he, he just couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe. And then at home, um, he, he became disoriented and he wasn't aware of time and place. So I got him dressed, put him in the car, took him to the ER. Um, they tried to, to initially try to treat and street him again, but, um, they ended up taking him back and they put him on BiPAP when, and the last day that, uh, we were in the ER was the last time I saw him. Um, they, uh, he sent me a picture from the ER. They had him on BiPAP and they were waiting to do a CT of his, of his lungs and, his lungs showed that he had over 50 blood clots in his lungs. And so they yeah. sent him, they sent him to the ICU. Um, and, uh, my husband had a history of PTSD. He was 17 years law enforcement. And, uh, uh, so they would, they had the BiPAP on him, but then when he would try to sleep, he felt like he was suffocating and he would get into a dream state and he would become, he wasn't combative with the staff. He was just combative in general, which wasn't unusual if he had a PTSD nightmare, but it became this cycle. And the nursing staff was getting stressed out with him, I guess. Um, I don't know. He, he FaceTimed with me for a few days and then they started giving him mild sedation. And then he got to where he couldn't talk for very long because he couldn't keep his oxygen up. Then he got to where he was texting and his text made no sense. And they wouldn't let me go and see him because even though I had, I had done their, everything that they, that was asked at that time, the quarantine, the whatever, I could go to Walmart. I could go to Target. I could go to the grocery store with a mask. They would not let me up there. I, I talked to the nursing supervisor. I went, I was tested so many times. I just need to have a negative test. And that's when they said that it could show for up to 90 days. But every day I tried to get in there, they would not let me in to see him. And one of the nurses said, she says, I think if you could just come up here, even for 15 minutes, he might relax. He might calm down. Um, and I got a call at 1030 on June 3rd. And it was one of the, it was the COVID specialist, the, one of the specialists that was working. And he says, I'm on my way back to the hospital because your husband can't keep up his his FIO2 levels, and we're going to probably have to intubate him. And coming from <clears throat> 22 years of uh, military medical training, I knew what it meant. So they, uh, they let me talk to him for a second right before they intubated him, and he just said that, that he loved me and whatever. And I could hear 
the panic in his voice. He was scared and there was nothing I could do. But they, uh, they intubated him and then I got a call at 2.30 and they said that, uh, that he'd already coded twice hmm. and they wanted to know what they should do if he calls a third time because they didn't think that he'd survive it. And as much as I didn't want to, I knew what his wishes were. I always knew what they were. We talked about that. Um, and I said, he, what are his chances if he survives and he's on machines? They said, he'll never come off. He'll always be on machines. Um, and I said, no, that's not what he wanted. It, it came down to what I wanted versus what he wanted and what he'd always said. So I said, no. And at 3.32, he passed away. And, you know, they, uh, I tried everything. I asked about ivermectin and they said, no. They wouldn't give him ZPAC. They wouldn't give him uh, hydroxychloroquine. They wouldn't do any of that stuff, but they tried everything else. They tried experimental stuff, nothing. And so he and I had already planned on leaving uh, California. We had planned on moving, and that's part of the work he was doing when he was exposed. They think it was out in the public when he was picking up materials. Mm. And... Uh, so after he passed away, I, and I think now hindsight tells me I did it because I didn't, I wasn't ready to, to face what, what reality was. I got the house ready. I hired some people. I got the house ready and I sold the house and I packed up two dogs and a cat and sent stuff in you boxes, packed up the truck and I left and I, I left for West Virginia not knowing anybody, not knowing where I was going to live, nothing else. But during that entire time, you know, it was like, as long as I stay busy, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to face the fact that I lost the stability that I had. He was, mm. he was my rock. Um, cause I had lost my youngest son six months prior and oh, wow. He was, he was the one that, that got us through that. Um, mm. And, you know, so I kept busy and here I am, you know, keeping busy. And now that things are done with, mostly done with, with my fixer up house, I don't have a choice. Yeah. But to, this is my reality. I'm here with our dogs and our cat, but it's just me. And mm. I've tried to get involved in things. I still, I still race from time to time, but I have to, I have to travel a lot further than I used to for it. So it's not very often. I got um, back into clogging after 35 years, but I just quit um, due to a member, a co-lead on that team that was very toxic. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, I couldn't deal with it. I, I already have enough on my plate. Um, I've tried things like, I thought, well, maybe I need to get back 
maybe I need to get back into the dating scene. My Lord knows I, I can hear Jeff telling me, you know, oh, like, yeah. you need to be happy. You need to go and do this. So, yeah, I tried dating. It's definitely sites. what he wants. I've tried dating sites, but what I'm finding is that I'm looking for him. Yes. He's going to send you somebody. I don't think you're supposed to be looking, sweetie. You're supposed to just be open and I, let him let him yeah. send you something. I have a question, Diane, for you. Um, what Tanya's saying, the keeping busy, that's exactly what I did after my mom died. That's how I cope with everything. I stay busy till the time passes. Do, is that a healthy way to deal with something, do you think, from a psychological perspective, when you yeah. first have yeah. dealt with a loss? Is keeping busy good? Yes, I think it is because you don't want to spend every waking moment feeling that excruciating pain. However, if that's all you ever do is stay busy and don't go back and revisit those feelings, yeah, then you're going to have some problems because then you're not going to heal. You're just stuffing. Yes. Well, so I life, think there has to be yeah. a balance. You know, life yeah. is life has made it so, especially out here where I don't have a choice. When, yeah. when I, when I can't keep busy, you know, when we get where the roads are iced, when we have the snow, whatever, and I can't leave or I get into my mental health stuff between PTSD and depression and anxiety and whatever, and I'm here, I don't have a choice. I have to face it. There are, there are still things here at this house that I brought with me. You know, I don't have a lot of his stuff because Lord knows I went through that 1530 square foot house and I thought, my God, this man has so much crap. You know, it was. But you know, you know, Tanya, you do have a choice as far as you do have a choice as far as what you can do with that time at home when you can't go anywhere. You can write. You can meditate. You can uh, listen to videos on the topic that whatever you're feeling, you just Google it on YouTube or something like that. And so there are things that you can still do that will help you heal quicker and stronger and deeper. Well, so. I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not very good with meditation because ADHD sends me all over the place, but <laughs> Check. Okay, um, that one's not for you then. Yeah. <laughs> not not I, for me either. Same ADHD, <laughs> same, but you know what yeah. you can do if meditation's not good. And I'll say this really quick and then we have to let you go. Um, okay. uh, conversation with spirit, just have a conversation. Have a conversation with Spirit. Have a conversation with Jeff. Have a conversation with you. Um, if you're not a person who does really well sitting in a quiet space, and I'm totally not that person, put some music on and start talking. Or like Diane said, start writing, journal, turn your phone on and start talking into it. Um, mm -hmm. Do something that is meditative, but is meditative through action and not through uh, being passive. Does that make sense? That yeah. is yeah. very good. I've been I've been working on that. I do. Um, I've been I learned cartomancy, and I've been working on uh, getting better with that. Uh, good. So d talking to spirit. <laughs> I'm not good. Sure if I'm getting to that point, but I know my intuition and what the cards tell me, and I I walk well, around right. my house talking to myself all the time, so I know. Jim well, and talking to spirit yeah. doesn't have to mean you become a medium. We're, we all have the opportunity to talk to our higher power. You just start talking and know your higher power is listening. I do it all the time. It's not like some big I channel because I'm a psychic medium thing. I just say, oh, you know, okay, spirit, what's up with this? And we have a lot of conversations. So um, some are about lofty things and some are about silly things. So just start thinking about opening those lines of communication. And 
we're both sending you so much love and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank Take you, care, Tanya. sweetheart. You're doing great. Everybody right, today, you. Patricia, Darlene, Tanya, you're doing great. Remember that you have survived and you're thriving and you are doing so great. And we're so proud of you. Um, interesting show today, right, Diane? Yeah, I think they're all doing great, really. They're all actively, you know, looking at what they're feeling and looking into future, future plans. But I just want to make sure that they all stay in that precious present moment. Mm. We all have to learn that. I know I, I'm trying to master that still yeah. myself. You, know? you and me both. Yeah. You know, because we, we just have this tendency to get way too far into the what ifs of the future. And we lose that moment. We lose the moment. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when the hands on the clock are going to stop or yes. anything or anybody. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was a heavy show, Sheena. Let me uh, tell well, you something. I'm I'm Irish, baby. I'll set the heavy <laughs> ones up for you. That's where we live. Um, where a is a great place that people can find you online to contact you, Diane? You can find me at diannekatz, K-A-T-Z dot com, Diane without an E. And you can find me at Diane Katz Band on Facebook. And you can find me right here with Sheena Metal. <laughs> right on, on, on iHeartRadio. We're on iHeartRadio every other uh, Wednesday. And you can find us at SideBySideShow.com and also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SideBySideShow. And you can find me at Sheena Metal Spiritual for all of my um, spiritual and entertainment life. Learn, come and know me better and learn more about me. And um, I'm at 818-437-0886 to text me. 818-437-0886 if you'd like to be a guest on a future show or just say hi and stay in touch um, or give me a message to pass on to Diane. And social media, I'm everywhere just at Sheena Metal and look forward to a lot more exciting things coming, including some live events in Southern California with Diane and me coming Woo! up soon. And um, until we see you next time, Thank you for joining us on this show. We use two different perspectives to achieve the same goal. And that goal is healing. And we do it side by side. I'm Sheena Madel. I'm a psychic medium and an energetic healer. And with me always is my co-host, Diane Katz, who is a mental health educator. Take care of you. And we'll see you next week. And hopefully come and do a show with us. And we can help you as we sit here side by side. We'll see you next That's time. That's right. Take care. Doesn't matter how you roll when life is taking such a toll. Clenching fist along with your screams. I'm here to heal your mind and we are here to heal your soul. Time to follow your dreams. Side by Bye.